How many have been here over the last few weeks? Okay. Hopefully you've been blessed by uh, the talks on anxiety. So Judah asked me just to share just a few of my thoughts, and so I'm going to do my best to tackle a really a multifaceted issue when it comes to uh, being anxious. But a little bit about me, as, as Elijah mentioned, uh, I pastor with my beautiful wife, Kelly, uh, church in Boise, Idaho, Capital Church. Uh, we have two sets of twin boys, and uh, we're so blessed. And then we have a girl. It's, it gets crazier. Uh, we just found out a couple months ago that we're having another set of twins. So we're going to have three sets of twins. Bye. So I'm just going to sit tonight, right? Just relax. Um, but hey, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I just feel like I got a, a good word for um, you this evening. So I'm going to tackle anxiety. If, if, if you take notes, if you don't take notes, it's great. Uh, I'm going to deal with um, anxiety on a cultural level. So obviously I'm a pastor. I'm not, I'm not a neuropsychologist. I'm not going to deal with like the neuro neurochemical uh, event that we might call anxiety. I'm not going to um, address it from a, um, a therapeutic or counseling perspective. How many of you believe that our mental health professionals are amazing? Yeah. Right? They're amazing. And if you see one that's great, we believe all truth is God's truth. And so they, they have shed great light on um, our neuropsychological state and how we see things. Uh, but tonight, I'm going to deal with anxiety on a cultural level, and uh, I'm going to do my best to tackle it uh, from a perspective of theology. And so I promise, I hope this isn't going to be boring tonight. Um, if, there are any, if, if there's anything you disagree with, you know, this evening, you can totally email me at pastorjuda at hotmail.com. That's the first of many bad jokes this evening. Um, but hey, I, I really want to address this issue of anxiety. So if we get into our scriptures, uh, I don't know, are they, are they behind me, scriptures? We're going to begin in Matthew uh, chapter, Matthew chapter 5, and uh, I'm just going to read Matthew chapter 5. Do we have that? I think we do. Is it up there? Is it? It's right there. Okay. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. So Jesus is building a composite picture of who the Father is. And this is related to our subject of anxiety. And so this is what um, Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Verse 47, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Verse 48, you therefore must be perfect or complete as your Father in heaven is perfect and complete. Let's move really quick to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. It says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your Father. Everyone say your Father. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. 
pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. We're going to skim through this really quick. Matthew 6, verse 25. Perfect. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Everyone say, do not be anxious. About your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. How many like birds? How many ornithologists do we have here? All right, we got a couple of you. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father, your Father in heaven feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Verse 29, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Just a few more verses. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Just one more verse, a couple more verses, actually. Verse 31, do we have that? But seek ye first. No. So then... Forsake your worries. Why would you say what will we eat or what we will drink or what we will wear? Verse 32. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I'm just going to go off the top of my head. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, right, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In the last verse, Jesus says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. All right. One last, I think we got one last verse, Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, perfect. Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends. How many of you want more peace this evening? Come on. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. Amen. Can we pray? Father, we just thank you for your grace this evening. Lord, we just bless everyone in this room. Lord, we just thank you that your presence is here. Lord, I just thank you for your strength and your energy uh, to teach your word. Lord, we just thank you. We come here because we love you, Jesus. Lord, we, we think you're the greatest. And we just ask you to come and do a, a great work in our lives in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Can you turn to your neighbor, just give him a high five, tell him you love him, tell him you're so glad that you made it. I like it. We've got a live crowd tonight. All right, turn to your second choice and say, go Cowboys. Come on. Go Cowboys. Do we have any Cowboy fans here? All right. 
All right, I love it. I love it. I'm a diehard, diehard cowboy fan. Hey, have you, have you ever had one of those days when you're like, um, for real, God? Like, it's just like everything that, it's like Murphy's Law. Do you know what Murphy's Law is? It's like whatever can go wrong, what will go wrong? So about a month ago, uh, I was with my wife, and man, it's just like we were up all night, and our 10-month uh, twins, man, they were just like, man, just, just all over the place. And we had a lot of broken appliances, and not to get too graphic, but there was poop everywhere, right, one of those days. Was that too much? Um, but yeah, it was just one of those days where we were like, man, c- c- come on, Lord. I mean, this is just, this is just pretty crazy. And so um, my kids, I got the, the best kids in the world, but my, my kids were fighting like chickens. And um, things weren't just, uh, there was just a lot of different things that were going on. It just felt like everything was just was in, in a bad situation. So um, I, I decided to take all our kids, put them in the car. And so we got in the car. And uh, we're driving down the road. How many of you have been to Idaho before? Okay, a few of you have been to Idaho. So this is what they teach you when you go to Idaho, right? When you go to Idaho, you, um, when you see wildlife, because there's a ton of, do you have wildlife in LA? No? Every, we got wildlife like all over the place. And so they teach you when you see wildlife on the street that you can't, you can't swerve, right? And you can't slam on your brakes because you got like cars behind you. So when you see wildlife, you just kind of have to truck through. Anyways, I'm foreshadowing this interesting story. So we're in our car, and I see in, uh, fr- in, in front of me these, these two little cute squirrels playing, right? Playing with their acorns, and I kind of, you got a sense of they had like a love connection or something, and they were just kind of playing, and uh, I just knew it. I knew it was one of those days that a squirrel was going to die. And so um, it happened. These, one of the, these, these squirrels, they didn't see me coming, and uh, they both darted out in front of the car, and uh, I just had to, like, go through. One got away, and the other one didn't make it, right? It was really sad. And I remember in that moment, my wife was with me. She was in the passenger seat. She was forlorn. I mean, she, she just had that look, that uh, sad look combined with this accusatory look, why did you kill that squirrel, right? My kids, I don't know who it was, but one of my kids said, you're a murderer of squirrels, dad, right? And I felt bad because it was just like, man, I just, I, I participated in the death of that squirrel, and I remember muttering, on, it was just one, one of those stinking days, right? And many of us have had those days, but I muttered under my breath, man, and, and I'd been uh, memorizing this passage out of Matthew chapter 6 about how God loves the birds. And I remember I told myself, God, you must love birds, but you must hate squirrels. Right? It's funny, at the end of this whole, like, situation, uh, I think it was my son Quincy, he, he looked at me about three hours after the whole situation. He looked at me and goes, Dad, just want to let you know, I still, still love you. Right? <laughs> I'm like, I didn't know that that was in question, Right? Squirrels. I remember thinking about, okay, God, we read in Matthew chapter 6 that you provide for the birds, but apparently you hate the squirrels, right? What about the squirrels? And I remember just thinking through it philosophically, and uh, I started getting anxious, and I started having a conversation with God. God, when we go to Matthew chapter 6, 
and you say, do not be anxious, right? Do not be anxious. Um, what are you trying to say? Because is, is that just pretty words, right? Do we, are you actually saying we have no reason ever to be anxious in our life? And I started having a conversation with Jesus, and I just want to like tra translate this to where our culture is at. Our culture would say, yes, we have a lot to be anxious about. That they would go to Matthew chapter 6, and they would say, the words of Jesus, do not be anxious. Um, man, those, that, that's just like country words from a nice wandering rabbi, like in the first century, who wasn't just in tune with how life worked, right? That's where many people are at. Many people are like, hey, 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 when it comes to anxiety, I don't know if I can ever get free from anxiety. We should, in other words, be anxious. In fact, we are living in the crisis, this crisis of anxiety. Anxiety is the dominant feature of our modern contemporary life. I'm gonna give you some, some facts. I mean, like facts. Give you a couple facts. One in four one in four American adults, this is 65 million people, suffer from anxiety. One expert said this uh, just recently, the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Anxiety, what social scientists will tell you, anxiety is contagious. Like you can catch it, like it's, like it's the flu. I don't know if you've ever been around an anxious pers a person, but an anxious person can make other people anxious. I wanna give you really quick um, three reasons why I believe anxiety is the defining feature of our cultural moment, okay? So, so why, if, if this is the case, one in four um, uh, Americans, American adults, are filled with anxiety, what is the reason, what, what is the cause of all of this? Number one, uh, it's because we have the immediacy of threats and catastrophe on our phones. Now, how many of you love technology? Okay, if you of you love technology, that's all right. Um, technology is nothing, it's morally neutral, right? Man, technology is great, like if you use it, great. Unfortunately, uh, we have catastrophe on our phones every single day. This last week, for example, um, I just, I found out that there are 2.9 billion less birds in North America compared to the 1970s. And I remember thinking, we're all gonna die, right? Think about it, I read that earlier this, this year, again, this is all on my stinking phone, right? That there's a new thing called super funguses that, that they're trying to get ahead of. We have measles and the whole vaccination thing, vaccinate your kids, anyways, let's move on, right? We have obviously um, a genocide. Uh, we have, it seems like weekly we have dire predictions of climate change. We have domestic terrorism. We have hate crimes. We have the idolization of race. We have the proliferation of nuclear bombs. We have psychopaths, right? Ted Bundy is a big thing on Netflix. Is what, four or five different docudramas. Docu we have New York Giant fans, right? That, make, that can make you go crazy. So we've catastrophized. Our phones, in other words, have made catastrophe immediate. In other words, we have catastrophized our daily lives. And because we've done that, we've projected. I hope this is okay that we talk like this. But we've projected this catastrophe onto the landscape of the cosmos. In fact, one professor of psychology, I won't name his name. He's a popular thinker. Uh, he wanted to challenge this French impressionist landscape 
view of the world that is peaceful and idyllic. And these are his words. He said, Mother Nature. Everyone say Mother Nature. Mother Nature is hell-bent on our destruction. Right? Wow. He then uh, catalogs a list of things. You have everything from malaria, starvation, level droughts, AIDS, black, black plague, and he goes on and on and on, uh, citing all the ways in which Mother Nature is a psychopath and wants to kill you. This is in the cultural era, this, this idea that we're unsafe, this idea that we have a lot of reasons to be anxious and to be afraid. So number one, we have the immediacy of threats and all these, uh, all, all these different catastrophes. Number two, we're more socially isolated from each other. Robert Putman, he said this a long time ago, Americans know how to believe, but they don't know how to belong. Like we don't know how to be committed anymore, right? We don't know how to uh, give ourselves away. We, we, we don't understand the art of self-giving love. And so we struggle with really belonging to community. In fact, this is all connected to hyper-individualism and this idea that the, the self or the individual is priority over the group. In fact, within our cultural landscape, there's a growing consensus that any community, any group, and thankfully this is changing, but this has been around for a while, but every group, every community is either ossified, exploitative, or is all about control. And so we have people that are increasingly um, isolated from each other. And so what happens is we come to church and no one in here has ever experienced this before. Can I talk like this right now? Okay, three of you said, okay. Um, no one has ever experienced this before, but man, we come to church because of this hyper-individualistic milieu, and we're just like, hey, the preacher man has to preach my messages, right? And the preacher man has to make me feel good, and we treat um, church like a self-discovery, self-fulfillment project, and we just kind of assume that we don't have to be in community with each other. The problem is that has led to high levels of anxiety, right? We, and I'm going to talk about this in the next uh, 15, 20 minutes, but we need each other. Can I get an amen to that? Man, we need each other. Number three, we uh, suffer from hurry sickness, right? I think maybe, just hear me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a neutral observer, right? So just don't judge me. Um, but I think it could be the case that maybe we're going too fast. Our pace and rhythm of life Many sociologists are connecting to the proliferation of anxiety. We're busy, we're hurried, uh, we're busy and hurried um, around good things, but our busy and hurry has become pathological. We've marginalized the role of God in our life. Again, this is, I'm not placing any judgment on anybody, right, or our culture, but because we've marginalized God, we have no spiritual depth or inner resources to tackle the difficulties in life. Three signs, really quick, that you suffer from hurry sickness. Number one, you move from one checkout line to another because it's shorter. Some of you are like, oh, crap. <laughs> hey, hey, number two, and this is kind of the same, but I guess it's a little bit different. Like, I don't know. Um, when, you go, when, you, when you're um, heading towards the intersection, you see the stoplight, right? Uh, you choose the lane with the least amount of cars. Number three, I don't know if you know this, but multitasking is a myth. Like your, your IQ drops precipitously when you try to multitask. Scholars will say that you actually get dumber when you're trying to do multiple things. Anyways, that's just a side note. Um, but multitasking, 
Um, email me at, at uh, judasmith at hotmail.com, okay? Um, but multitasking, again, another sign of hurry sickness is multitasking. As you try to multitask, uh, you feel or you miss uh, some of the tasks that you were supposed to do. So really quick, before we get to the words of Jesus and the words of, of Paul, I just want to define quickly what, what anxiety is. Anxiety comes from the Latin word, a Latin word, which shares the same root with anger and anguish. Uh, it's translated in the word, uh, words of many different scholars to choke or to narrow or to strangle. In fact, the words that Jesus uses and Paul uses that we read in Philippians 4 and in Matthew chapter 6, do not be anxious, uh, is a Greek word, and it simply means to be drawn in opposite directions, to be divided into parts, to be pieces, to be pulled apart. In fact, St. Augustine described anxiety this way in his confessions. I carried inside me a cut and bleeding soul, and how to get rid of it, I just didn't know. My soul floundered in the void. Anxiety, many people, and I want to make this clear, many people confuse anxiety with worry. Worry is not anxiety. However, anxious people do worry. But anxiety is way more than just kind of fretting or worrying about the following day or the next, what, the weekend or whatever. Anxiety is also similar to fear, but anxiety and fear are a little bit different. In fact, fear is a response to a concrete event. Let's just say, example, for, for example, uh, how many, do we have any campers here? Tonight, you like to camp? Okay, a few of you. Let's just say, that's shocking in LA. That's awesome, guys. Let's just say, man, you went up to the mountains, right, this weekend, and uh, you're doing your thing, you're with your homeboy, whatever, and you're chilling, and a grizzly bear comes and charges you. Your first response would be what? Fear, right? The second would be to knock out, right, your homeboy and then run. Is that, that's my second bad joke, okay. Um, so fear and anxiety are a little bit different. Anxiety is multi, more multifaceted. In the words of one expert, anxiety is not just a response to a concrete event. Uh, it's an infinite web of what ifs. So when you're anxious, you start to catastrophize your, if you're living on Monday, you start to catastrophize what's going to happen on Thursday, Friday. Like, what, what if this happens to my body? What if this happens to um, my friends? What if this happens to my job? I don't know if I can make it. What, what, what if this happens to such and such? Anxiety deals not just in a concrete event. Anxiety is a combination of this infinite web of what ifs and this negative belief about the world itself. It leaves you with this feeling of uncertainty and helplessness. In fact, it's way more pervasive and diffuse in the words of one expert, and it lacks uh, specificity. It's really hard to, in other words, to identify anxiety as opposed to fear. Like some of you might not realize this tonight, but maybe you have a critical problem, you criticize. Again, probably no one here uh, this evening, but if you have a, a, a criticizing problem, it could be the case, again, this is a symptom of you have an anxiety problem. I know a lot of perfectionists that really struggle with anxiety. Anxiety is the root of, of perfectionism. It can be the root of being critical. It also can be the root of finding it difficult to make decisions. Anxiety, in other words, shapes our cultural landscapes. 
It has effects in very diffuse waves, uh, ways which is hard for us uh, to pinpoint. In fact, anxiety, I'm going to get to the text here really quick. Are you guys still with me? Anxiety is all about getting ahead of God. It's getting ahead of time, in other words, right? It's on Monday trying to figure out all the what-if catastrophic situations on Thursday and Friday. In fact, you're trying to handle a day or two days more than you should. Corey Tenboon said this, anxiety is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days, in other words, at once. It's moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Anxiety doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Here's the thing. There's a sense of irony when it comes to anxiety. You can't figure it out. But anxiety wants to control you by making you feel like you're out of control. Have you ever felt that before? That's the the modus operandi of anxiety. So really quick, we come to Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus says, do not be anxious. So what is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying when he says, do not be anxious, that if you're a follower of Jesus and you feel anxiety, that there's something fundamentally wrong with you? No. I think there's a lot of anxious people that often feel shame when they struggle with anxiety. And can I just tell you, I love, what I love about Church Home is they, we, we make it very clear that you belong to Jesus, right? No matter what, how you feel or what you're processing in your life, um, Jesus doesn't shame you. So when Jesus says, do not be anxious, he's not shaming you. When Jesus also says, do not be anxious, he's not denying reality. He understands that there is pollution in our world. He understands that there's corruption that's woven into the fabric of creation itself. Jesus is not denying death. He's not denying that squirrels get killed by redheads, right? He's not denying that at all. Jesus acknowledges, we find throughout the Sermon on the Mount and throughout the New Testament corpus, Jesus never, and the New Testament authors never deny the reality of evil. Thirdly, Jesus also by saying uh, and giving us this command to not be anxious is not saying that you simply can stop being anxious on command, right? Have you ever tried to stop being anxious by trying not to be anxious? Right, come on, man, right? Like my thing is maple bars. Anyone like maple bars? All right, I, 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 I can't break my addiction to maple bars. And there's so many times that I tell my wife, hey, babe, I'm, I'm going to break this addiction with maple bars. And so I try not to think about it, but in not thinking about it, I start to think about it, and I start eating maple bars, right? So what, what, what are you trying to say, Chris? What, what I'm trying to say is that through sheer willpower, you cannot diminish the logic and the effects of anxiety in your life. So Chris, okay, so what are you saying that Jesus is saying when he says, do not be anxious. Let me just say this really quick. I think many times we try to manage anxiety or feelings for that matter, or feels without addressing the underlying condition. So when it comes to anxiety, embedded within its structure is a belief that things will not turn out okay. So when Jesus says, and this is really good news, guys, when Jesus says, Do not be anxious. He says this because 
he makes the argument that our Father, could you say our Father? Our Father in heaven possesses radical generosity. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is building a composite picture. He's making the case that woven into creation itself, into the texture and fabric of creation, is the generous love of the Father. And he says, I want you to love your enemies. And the reason why I want you to love your enemies is not just because I want you to subvert power structures, and that's great, but I want you to love your enemies because your Father in heaven is radically generous to all the people we want to hate. Can I get an amen to that? So then he says, hey, I want you to look, right, that God, he allows the sun to shine on the just and the unjust and the rain to fall on the unjust, right, and the just. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying is this radical generosity is a deeper reality than our enemies, than the presence of evil itself. In fact, Paul says this in the book of Romans, that where sin abounds, what happens? Grace abounds that much more. So what Jesus is saying is that there's a deeper reality to squirrels dying, right? And the presence and the threat of catastrophe in our life and that deeper reality, which is woven into time and space itself, is that our Father is lavish in his generosity, not just to a few people, but to all people. Pretty powerful. In fact, grace and the generosity of God has more texture and depth and width and height than sin itself, than anxiety itself. Right? So we think of anxiety as this thing that we can't overcome. I, I want to I encourage you this evening is that God's grace has more texture, more power, is a deeper reality than any anxious thought we could ever experience. So Jesus is building this composite picture, and he's taking all these different vignettes, and there's an order to the Sermon on the Mount, which we read in Matthew 5 and Matthew 6. We come to Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, and he says, I don't want you to be like the pagans, right? And I don't want you to repeat all these prayers because your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ever ask him. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is actually addressing pagan life, and pagan life was structured around anxiety. In fact, pagans, because they, never, they, they, they did not know where they stood with the gods, deities were everywhere, and they didn't know if, if the deity that they were serving would be capricious one day, and then the next day would love them. They would come up with all these magical in, in, incantations and all these perfect sayings and prayers to procure the favor of the gods. And Jesus says, man, homie, don't play that. Right? Why? Because your Father in heaven knows what you need before you even know what you need. Because your Father in heaven is a generous father. So then we come to the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus says, hey, your father, God in heaven, is, man, he's so good. He's not a faceless deity. He's not some epicurean, megalomaniacal being that lives way outside of, of space and time. I think so many times when we think of our father in heaven, we think of heaven in a spatialized way. Like, I don't know, I'm not a physicist, um, obviously. I don't know if there's any physicists here um, tonight. But uh, we do know that the universe is expanding. 
And um, I think the edges of the universe is what, 50, 60 billion light years away. I probably totally messed that up. But I used to think growing up when Jesus said our Father in heaven, I used to think that what he meant was that heaven was on the edges of the universe. And what we find in the biblical world is the opposite. In fact, creation itself is a heaven and earth construct. Heaven, in other words, is a hidden dimension within earth itself. God, in other words, is a very present help in time of trouble. So then we come to the denouement of Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus has been building a composite, right? Generosity is woven in the fabric of creation itself, right? Um, we don't have to worry about a thing, right? Prayer, I think, for many people is nonsensical because we don't believe in a father that wants to answer our prayers, right? But Jesus is saying you have a father that knows you more than you know yourself. And so he's building this this picture of who God is from these different vignettes. And then we come to this climactic moment. Jesus says, do not be anxious. And then he goes in and he basically gives us a perspective of how far God's generous love goes. And Jesus says, it goes all the way to the tiny little birds. In other words, God provides for the birds. So if God, and this is the argument of Jesus, if God takes care of the birds and provides for them, he will surely provide for us. Anxiety, let me just say this really quick, is a belief that we will not be okay. And if you've been in church for a long time, you'll hear preachers say this at least twice a year, right? And we usually, it usually goes kind of like this. The most frequent command in the Bible is not be holy, um, don't sin, right? Don't, don't be lazy, right? Be a cowboy fan, or whatever, right? Um, the most frequent command in the Bible is none of those. The most frequent command in the Bible is do not be afraid. I think there are a lot of people here tonight, what you need to hear more than anything, because many of you are overwhelmed with this nagging sense that your future is not going to be okay. You're overwhelmed with this sense. You can't even pinpoint it. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I need, I need someone to come and say it's okay. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying when he offers the command, do not be anxious. He is saying this world is shaped by a loving father woven into time and space is God's love, and he has a plan for you. Amen. So the good news, this is the good news, right? The good news is that we have a Father in heaven who loves us. But let me just say this really quick as I close. I just have a, just a few more points. But the good news of the Christian story, I'll make this very clear, is not good advice. Jesus, what we find in the Sermon on the Mount, and what we find throughout the New Testament, is not Jesus going around uh, offering good advice on how you can be a good person, pay your taxes, be nice, whatever, love your neighbor. And those are important things, right? What we find Jesus saying is that he's announcing the good news of the kingdom. In fact, God, through Jesus, is generating a new state of affairs. In other words, Jesus is healing the sick. We find this in the New Testament. We also find that Jesus does miracles. We find that Jesus does some crazy things to creation itself. All of that suggests that God, through Jesus, is claiming sovereignty over creation itself. 
So I'm not offering, when it comes to anxiety tonight, I'm not offering, nor is Jesus offering simply good advice. He's offering good news. Good news of the kingdom. Good news that through the death of Jesus and through his resurrection, Jesus is now not just a wandering rabbi. Jesus is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. Right, we find this in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus has global sovereignty through his death. And it's through the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So how do we overcome on a theological level this sense of things are not going to be okay? Our starting point to getting free from anxiety, it's a starting point. But our starting point is resting in the reality that Jesus has won the victory over death itself and over all catastrophes. And God, at this very present moment, it might not look like it. I know things in our world feel like uh, it's crazy town, but at this very present moment, God is working out all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. So we have the reality, the goodness of the Father, and we have the good news of the kingdom. And number two, how do we, that's number one. Number two, how do we, how do we overcome anxiety, right? I, let me just say this really quick. I think we need each other, right? I think we need community. Genesis 2.15 says it's not good for a man to be alone. Not good for a man to be alone. In fact, you have this design movement from Genesis 2 to Genesis 3, and you see that Adam and Eve are isolated from each other, and it's in their isolation that they form negative beliefs, irrational beliefs about God. They minimize, in other words, the goodness of God. They maximize the prohibition of God. They form irrational, negative, it's not going to be okay beliefs in isolation. In fact, what Genesis 2.15 tells us is that, man, we cannot carry life's responsibilities on our own. In fact, when it comes to tackling anxiety, we need each other, right? Tackling anxiety, I know Judah has been talking about this a lot lately, is a group project. It's a community project. We need each other. We need to share. We need to be okay with sharing what's going on. Vulnerability is not weakness. Sharing that, man, man, I have a problem, and I'm not sure what it is. I'm trying to pinpoint it. It might be anxiety. Can I just share, share this with you? This is what we need. The way we overcome the, dyna the dynamism of anxiety on a cultural level, which even affects us personally day in and day out, is we have to learn to, to do life together. In fact, a Canadian psychologist did research 1940 and 41, and this is when Nazi planes were bombing London, and uh, he was fascinated with, with his research. He found that rates of anxiety dropped, and even depression, depression dropped to almost non-existent levels for about a year period as Nazi bombers dropped bombs on London. So researchers, and this Canadian psychologist was, was befuddled. He's like, why, why is this the case? And he came to the conclusion it was because everyone developed a sense of solidarity. We felt like, everyone felt like they were in it together and that they belonged, right? I just think there's something to be said about sharing what we're going through, and as you share what you're going through, you weaken the power of what you're experiencing as it relates in particular to anxiety. And finally, number three, 
How do we, and I'm going to close here, and I just want to pray for you. How do we not get ahead of God, right? How do we, how do we not get ahead of time? How do we slow down? Well, the key is we got to structure our life around Jesus, right, as followers of Jesus, which means, and we find this, and I read this in Philippians chapter 4, and I'm just going to skim through this. It means that we have to learn um, to structure our lives around prayer. Prayer, in other words, is a context for where God meets with us. And Paul says this, do not be anxious just on Tuesdays. I wish he would have said that, right? Or Thursdays or, or every now and then. He says, do not be anxious for anything. How do you do that? Well, he says, okay, this is how you do it. You, you practice the art of prayer, right? This doesn't have to be like 10 hours a day, right? This could be 5, 10, 15 minutes. You just open up your heart to Jesus, and then you share what's on your heart. And then what you do, right, is you cast your anxieties and cares to Jesus through prayer. Then you start thanking God over it, right? This is what I do. I struggle with anxiety a lot in my life. And uh, this is a secret as I, as I close, and I want to pray for you. This is what I've learned in prayer. I'm just really honest with God. I'm really honest with God. So I like to, like to practice, okay, God, what would you say? It's like a little thing that I do. I'm not trying to like put thoughts or words into God's mind or in his mouth. I just, I'm trying to quote scripture. So I'll do something like this. I'll wake up in the morning. There are times I'll wake up in the morning and I just feel like, okay, there's just something not right. What is this? I can't figure it out. And I've learned that um, I got to bring it to God. And so I'll just say, God, I, I, don't, I don't understand what this is about. I don't know why I'm afraid, but I think you would tell me that God, you have not given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. God, I'm just like, I'm wrestling. I'm scared, man. This week sucked, right? And I'm exhausted. I'm trying to figure stuff out. But, but, but I think you would tell me that perfect love casts out all fear. I think you would also tell me that it's even in my weaknesses, and I feel really weak today, but it's in my weaknesses that your strength is perfected, right? I start quoting Psalm 136. God, I thank you. I don't feel it right now. You feel like 10 trillion miles away, and I'm afraid and scared right now, but I thank you that even though I quit on you, your love never quits on me. I start quoting Psalm 145, and this is why I think it's so important to have just a basic knowledge of God's word. I thank you, Father. Like Psalm 145 says, that you lavish favor on creation, right? You're generous to a fault. Your loving acts are the trademark of your kingdom. I just start telling myself what I think God would say from his word, and that's when I experience the freedom from anxiety. So I do that combined with thanksgiving. I thank God. Like, I, th I thank you, God, that you're in charge. That's what I do. As I cast every care upon him, and as I do those things, thank God, share my anxiety, tell myself, I think God would say this within the context of prayer. That is when I find freedom. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to pray for you. Lord, we just thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Lord, I just pray that for, for, as we close here, I know we got to move along here, but I really do sense your presence. 
And I just thank you that you would come now and bring healing to every anxious heart. I think more than anything, there are sons and daughters here this evening that need to hear you tell them in, in a fresh way that everything's going to be all right. Lord, I thank you for lifting off anxiety. I thank you for showing us in fresh ways how we can be free. Lord, we thank you for our mental health professionals. Lord, I th this, I'm sure of it as our eyes are closed. There's, there's people in here that um, are meeting with doctors and, and psychologists, and that's great. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you all truth is God's truth. But we also thank you tonight that right now in your presence, you're going to work in many hearts. You're setting us free. You're showing us that you're in charge. You're showing us that you're a loving father. And Lord, I pray in this moment, Holy Spirit, you're here that you would just do a fresh work in us. Fresh work in us. If there's anyone in here tonight, you would just, you'd be, you're really honest. You're saying, yeah, Chris, I, I feel like, man, I've been struggling with anxiety. And um, I've kind of bought into this cultural anxiety thing that you've talked about. And I want to be free. Got this nagging sense that maybe things aren't okay. And, and I just want Jesus to come and set me free this evening. If that's you, I'm not going to have you come forward. Could you just raise your hand? I'd like to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All over the place. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, we just thank you for every hand raised. You can put your hands down. If you raise your hand, could you just put it on your heart? I'm going to pray for you. Father, we just thank you. Jesus that you know where everyone's at. And I just pray right now you would do a miracle in their mind, a miracle in their heart. Lord, I thank you that whom Jesus sets free is free indeed. And Lord, we thank you for the command that there's, not, there's, there's never a reason. There's never a reason to be afraid. Why? Because you are a very present help in time of trouble. Let that right now in this moment, and not just tonight, but Lord, set into motion, Lord, a fresh understanding, a reframing of reality structured around the generosity of a good father. Father, I thank you that tonight's message would be more than words. Lord, it would come in and change and transform us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Can we just one more time thank Pastor Chris for that amazing message? It was incredible. I know it resonated with me. I hope it, it hit home for you as well. And I love the simplicity at the end, just being honest with God. And uh, in a moment, we're going to take a few moments just to use songs um, to express our thanks and love for this amazing God that Chris was talking about. But I just want to pray one more thing tonight. If you just bow your heads one more time, and I know that many of us struggling with anxiety and going through very real, present struggles and challenges right now in your life. But I just want to give the opportunity tonight. Maybe you're here. Maybe it's your first time. Maybe it's your 10th time. and You're new to the church experience. But if you've never said yes to Jesus before, I just want to give you an opportunity to say yes to him, 
to his amazing grace, to this love that we could never earn or deserve. Because you need to know that you were never designed to go through life alone. And if you feel alone right now, if you feel like you're trying to figure things out on your own, you need to know that there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus. And by simply saying yes to him, he forgives us of all of our sins, past, present, and future, makes us a brand new creation. And it's a free gift. It's a free gift tonight. So if that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus, just on the count of three, will you shoot your hand up in the air, put it right back down, and we can pray. One, two, three, just right where you're at. Thank you. Thank you. Hands are going up all over. Hands are going up. Maybe you're watching right now our online community, Church Home Global, or up in Seattle, wherever you're at. Raise your hand. Thank you. God, I thank you so much. I just pray right now, Lord, for every hand raised and every heart that's responding in this moment, that thank you right now in this moment. God, you make us brand new on the inside, that we no longer have to carry the weight of our sin, that is our weaknesses and our mistakes and our failures. God, we've all messed up, but God, we thank you for this free gift that you give us tonight, that as we say yes to you, Jesus, as we simply put our faith and trust in you, God, you make us new. You give us a new start and a new beginning as we say yes to follow you, Jesus, in Jesus' name. And everybody said Amen. Come on, can we congratulate all those tonight that just said yes to Jesus? The greatest decision you would ever make.